First of all, I want to show you a little slideshow. We also have a group, and some of you don't know that, on Fridays we have the Mommies Group. And they are the most adorable group of girls. They are just amazing. And so we had little cardboard testimonies from these girls. And so this one was, I was new. Okay, and the next little statement she wants to make, now I'm making friends. Ah, is that cute? Okay, let's see somebody else. Yes, I was unsettled. Now I have peace. And that's because she used her card. She gave a testimony on Friday morning, and she said, I used my card. And I had my card, and I was, um, I had no self-control with my kids. And so I would just say, self-control. God, we pray for self-control. And then, then her kids got a hang of it, and so she would pray over them. I need self-control. <laughs> so she, she has peace. Look at her little boy's face. Yay, mommy. <laughs> okay, next one. Oh, this is Cindy, and it says, I can't read it. Somebody read it for me. I thought I didn't have time for devotions, and now, yay. Yeah, my favorite time, yay. If the mommies can do it, so can we. Okay, next. Oh, Jess, she's a treasure to me. I was affected by the world. Now God's using me to affect the world. That's a testimony. That's a testimony. I met, when I first met her, she was a crumpled mess. I mean, she was just crying her eyes out, and I can't resist to just go into people's little private moment. I had never met her. I didn't know who she was, but there's a girl crying. i got to go. And I prayed with her, and we've become fast friends. And so she had sent me a picture. This is her quiet time box. And so part of the process of this next eight weeks challenge is to develop, to expand your God world. And so she took the challenge and she made a quiet time box. And in that box, she painted it. She, she decided on the scripture that she would paint on the front of it. And I asked her to bring it to Bible study on Friday, and she had her, her colored pens, she had her note cards, she had her one-year Bible. And I said, Jess, that's very creative. What did you make that, that box? That You didn't go to the store. She, they're flat broke. She said, no, I didn't go to the store. I made it out of a diaper box. Is that adorable? Yeah. And um, so it was the perfect illustration that I want to share with you. I'm going to launch that into um, something I feel like God wants to say tonight. He wants to tell you, you are you. You are youer than you. There's no one alive who is youer than you. And that's Dr. Seuss, right? Okay. (laughs) So... The thing is, last week we had a printout on your table, and you might see it there on your table, and it gives a sample of me. There's my little index cards where I have made a code for myself with different colors that I use for different things in my one-year Bible reading, my quiet time. And again, the purpose of the colored pens isn't busy time. 
isn't to, to just make this complicated system. It's all about focus. Say that word again. Focus. It is to help us pay attention. And some of the girls said, well, let's make the copy of your card and so everyone can have a copy and take it home. And that would be fine for some people because some of you are so rebellious that I don't even have to tell you to do it your own way. You'll do it your own way. But some of you would take it home and say, must do this. Let me tell you a little secret. That is my code, and I don't even do my own code some of the time. This morning was a red pen and a black pen. And I don't know, it was just one of those days. It was just still me and God. We were still going deep. We were still having an awesome time. He was still speaking to me, humbling me. I was crying. He was shaking me up. He was giving me promises. But yellow marker only showed up a couple times. I'm sorry. So um, that the thing is, is that, that it it's just a tool. It's just a tool. Now, most days I do use the color markers because it keeps me engaged. It keeps me noticing what's going on. And that's the point. But we got to make the main thing the main thing. Now, some of you, most of you have won your Bibles. And as you see, you read the Old Testament, you read the New Testament. A psalm and a proverb. Now, one of you, actually, that's in this room, had a big, busy, overwhelming week. And she, she, I saw her on Sunday. She was a little bit on overload. You know that word, overload? You know it. Anyway, she was on overload. And she just said, I just can't do all that. And it was, it was a good moment. It was a good moment for me to remind you please get out your developing a quiet time if you would. I'm going to go over a couple of little rules for the road. Say that with me. Rules for the road. This is a journey to the heart of God via the one your Bible is the Bible best. So there's just a couple of things that I want to point out to you on developing your quiet time. And most of you have it pasted in the front cover of your journals. There's a couple things that I want to point out. First of all, again, I I will probably say that every time we're together, when you open your Bible, open in prayer. Close your eyes and, and wait for the presence of God. Still your heart. Expect him to be there. And then I, I just adore listening till my heart can hear him say, welcome to my world. Again, it's practicing the presence. This is spending time with God. That's the point. Uh, Number two is a very critical issue that we need to talk about. Always remember there's no condemnation on the bus. No condemnation. None. If you miss a few days, and we will, like last week, I missed, ha- I missed a day. Can you believe it? And um, yeah, you can probably because you know how it is. Oh, I know it's scary, but 
There's no condemnation. The purpose of the one-year Bible is that it gives you some place to go. This is what you're not to do. If you miss a few days, do not catch up. Don't. Don't do that. Because then you'll be like reading like a maniac, and you will get exactly that much. Right? You'll be on overload. You'll just be whizzing through. You'll see nothing. You'll hear nothing. It'll just be about getting it done. Um, I have some friends that just went on a um, a 30-day road trip. Is that exciting? They hopped in the car. He's a workaholic. And so he promised his wife that he would take her on a 30-day road trip. So they got in the car, and I talked to them on the first day back, and he said, we did it. We covered 3,200 miles. I said, wow. He said, there was only one annoying thing on this trip. My wife kept wanting to stop and see things. He said, we could have gone much further if we had not stopped, if we had just kept on driving and just watched it go by the window. That was enough, right? So so I thought, ah, yes. So what was her point? She wanted to make memories. And that's what God wants to put on the table. If you get a takeaway tonight... God wants to make memories with you. You're his girl. He wants time alone with you. And he wants to have divine moments. He wants to have epiphanies. He wants to go, aha. He wants to lean over your shoulder and say, see that? I'm talking about you. He wants to have moments. And so Linda, my friend, the wife, you know how many pictures she took? 7,552. Yes, she made him stop at the Grand Canyon. She did make him stop at Crater Lake and Yosemite. They stopped and had moments. This is the greatest journey you will ever take. And God wants to have moments. And he wants you to to write it down. He wants you to relive it. Scientists tell us, this is a very, very important new information for me that I just learned. That when you recall a moment, maybe it was a moment in grade school where you got first prize. Or it was a moment where you went to the Grand Canyon. It was a moment, an important moment. If you recall it, the same chemical, and there's a chemical reaction with moments, you know, pleasurable moments, fun moments, exciting moments. There's chemicals that release in you. When you recall that, the same chemicals are released again. And so... When we have moments, when we pause, when we write down what God says to you, and then you process it with him, and then he applies it to your life, you can go there over and over and over again. Now, Jesus said, this is what he said, when you pray, 
Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in the secret place. And then he says, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. That's what God says. And I just want to lean over, put your face in my hands and say, girl, Start expecting it. Start expecting it. Start expecting your God to show up in your days. Make memories with you. And there's a principle about going to the secret place, spending time with God, because then you have to get out of go out of your quiet place into the cruel, hard world. But once you've had that time with God and you've sat down with him, you know what? You can be in the middle of a crisis and you can go right there again. Somebody was so mean to me the other day. I mean, she was spitting mean. I went to my secret place. God, this is not good. (laughs) You're going to have to really give me that. Where's my self-control card? (laughs) Self-control. Actually, my card last week was love. My, my love card. Could you give me my love card now? I'm not feeling much love. Me alone with God in the presence of my enemy. You know, that's what it says in Psalm 23. My cup runneth over. So, don't go crazy. Don't feel like you're in a box. One day... When it said, find out, in Philippians, find out what pleases the Lord, that filled half of my journal page, and I only wrote one more paragraph. That was my takeaway. That fed me for five days. So make it your own. Have moments with God. No condemnation to those who are in the bus. All righty? Okay. It's time to get our wheels rolling because we're going to have a bus stop. Okay, what does that mean to you newbies? It means if we're traveling on the bus, reading through the one-year Bible, and one more memo that I want to make with this, if there are weeks in your life that the Old Testament is too much for you, then read the New Testament or read the Psalm and the Proverb. Still stay in God's Word. Okay, so a bus stop is where we park. We park, we dig in, and we see what God says together. So let's hold up our Bibles. Still our hearts. Shut the door to the busyness, to the bills on the table, to the milk that spilled on the floor, to the keys that got lost. God, we acknowledge you here. And God, as we open our Bibles, let's open, open them together with your eyes closed. May we hear your words. Welcome to my world. And God, we love your world. We love your world because in you, in you is light. In you is truth. You are the God who parts red seas. You are the God with whom 
all things are possible. So speak to us tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. And they all said, Amen. Okay, open your Bibles to September 28th. When you're one your Bibles, if you have a regular Bible tonight, then it's Isaiah 54, verse 1. You do have a handout tonight with the text that we'll be diving into. And we're going to dive into two portions. Uh, I'll tell you, um, I'm going to be honest with how this works. How do we choose what text we're going to study? It's a miserable process for me. I'll tell you the truth. This week's reading, it was like um, the whole treasury, the whole wealth of, of, of the world was, was poured out on us. Isaiah 53 was the suffering servant of Jesus, the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. This week in Ephesians was spiritual warfare. There was just so many things to choose from. And so this is what I did. I got down on my knees, pathetically, desperately, and I said, God, make it personal. And I could see, I could see this room. I could see your faces. God, you know each and every one that's in this room. Who, who are they? Who are they to you? What are the titles that have, have blazed across their forehead through the different seasons in their lives? Who are they? Please make it so personal that they feel like this night is about them. And when I opened to September 28th and Isaiah 54, God said, this is it. Start there. Because Isaiah 54 is one of those moments where God steps into girl world. He does. He steps right into woman's world. You know, sometimes we feel like we're very misunderstood by man's world. They, they have no idea the things that we face. They, they have no idea the crises that go on in our life. They don't understand how seasonal we are and how deeply we process things. And we can't explain it because we don't understand But in Isaiah 54, God makes it personal. So get out your pen. I encourage you to use your Bible if you'd like or use your handout. Because as we read, we're going to read it through once. And then as we read, I'd like you to underline any words that are stand out to you. And circle any words that you have felt at one time in your life where you feel like God is speaking to you. Okay? Back out of your pens. Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song. Shout for joy. You who never were in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. 
Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your states. Can you see the visual? Can you see? Now they would understand the visual because they saw tents. If you don't go camping, if you just use a motorhome, you don't understand this. But tents have stakes. And they, in those days, they made tents out of animal skins. And then when they wanted to make them larger, they just added more skins and added more skins, like room additions. Picture that. Verse 3. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispose nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. Let me say that again. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit. A wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment, one of the first application of this is is Israel. Israel had turned their back on God, and they had suffered grief before because of it, and they had seen troubling times. And in verse 7, he says, For a brief moment I abandon you. But with deep compassion, I will bring you back. For in a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. So we're going to process this. And so just as before we step into it and have you write, feel like God wants to lay some foundation. And one of the parts of the foundation is Jeremiah 29, 11. In a few weeks, we'll be in Jeremiah. And it's where God says, and you need to write this address down if you don't know this scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11. And God is speaking And he says, I know the plans that I have for you, and they are good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. As you read this passage in Isaiah 54, God is saying, I know you. I know the times that you have felt barren. I know that. Or disgraced. I know the times that you have felt shamed. Or alone and deserted. This can be true because of 
things in your childhood. This can be true because of things as a teenager. Some of you have gone through divorce. And you know, divorce is just one of those words you hear, and the letters aren't even that long, but it's a whole world. Feelings and emotions and hurts and struggles. People have no idea how tragic that can be. Some of you are single. Some of you are widows. Some of you have gone through through seasons of many of these things. And sometimes we can look around and we think we're the only one. But all these can apply to us physically, but also they can apply to us spiritually. Spiritually, we can feel barren. Spiritually, we can feel ashamed, even when no one else knows. Spiritually, we can feel like we're deserted and alone. If you have a prodigal child, even though you gave birth to that child, you can feel like a failure. You can feel so barren, like, what did I go wrong? How did I fail that child? Or maybe you can look at the seasons of your life where you feel like you wasted your life and you have regrets, where you put your energy, you you got distracted, you got all consumed in things that were absolutely fruitless. You can feel like you made mistakes. You can feel like you're struggling. Although you're married, you feel like you're not. Like you're living in two houses. Like will you ever have happiness in this marriage? It's interesting as we read these words from God, women in Isaiah's time, they didn't marry for love. We have to remember that. We have to remember that the women who heard these words were women who often suffered in silence. Marriages in those days were not, you know, infatuation or love at first sight. They were arranged. Your father arranged your marriage. And what was he looking for? Maybe it was a man who had a cow. I mean, that was the criteria. That man has a cow. My grandchildren will have milk. Marry that man. I mean, it was as cut and dry as that. For some women... The, the day that they walked into the marriage ceremony was the first time they'd ever seen that man. You know, and, and that could be very scary. Isaac's wife, Rebecca, came from a far way away. She had never met him once she became engaged. For the sons, the questions might be merely, can that woman cook? Can she have many children? Can she work in the garden? You know, things like that. Was he handsome? Was not considered? Would he be tender? Would he be kind? If you've ever seen that that movie, um, Fiddler on the Roof, who's seen that movie? Must see that movie. The girls, all there's, I think there's five girls, and they sing the song, Matchmaker, Matchmaker, Make Me a Match. And they're, they're pleading, please, make him nice, make him sweet. And if he's handsome, oh, that would be so wonderful. But that wasn't true 
for these girls. So, so should we go back to that system? I mean, some parents, I mean, we think that good system, good system. I could have picked a better son-in-law for my daughter, really. We'd like to go to the Jewish ways, wouldn't we, some of us? You know, but, but I don't think that's going to happen. But some of you chose your husband, and you're going, what was I thinking? <laughs> So there's no simple solution to this, really. I mean, there's, there's, um, there's just a dilemma. So sometimes we as women, we find a very lonely place in our hearts when our husbands are too busy, when our husbands are not the spiritual leader, when husbands are distant, are wounded by their own lack of father when they were growing up. Remember the Beatles had a song, All the Lonely People, Where Do They All Come From? All the Lonely People, Where Do They All Belong? It's interesting that the Beatles would sing such a song. People of such fame and fortune, where everyone loved the Beatles. Before we dig in, there's an important moment that I want to lay on the table for us. In Genesis 30, Jacob had two wives. You don't have to turn to it. I'm going to give you the short version. He had two wives. Jacob had two wives. Well, there's a lot of drama, and we won't get into that, but one can just imagine two wives. Leah was having child after child after child. And Rachel was the pretty one, and she was barren. You know, it's interesting how sometimes life lays out. Pretty is not the ticket to happiness, trust me. I've seen more pretty girls crash their lives than just us plain and simple ones. It's a better way. Anyway... Rachel became furious and jealous at her sister, and she said to Jacob, listen to what she said, Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Many wives have said that about many things to their husbands. Give me a house or I'll die. Give me a larger budget or I'll die. Give me a vacation to Hawaii, or I'll die. In this case, it was children. Children was the epitome of fulfillment in their society. This is what Jacob said. He became angry, and he said, Am I in the place of God? And the answer to that is what? No. And when you get a man in your life, whether it's a husband or a boss or a father, the fear of failure is huge. And when we put expectations and pressure on a man to be that to us, which he cannot be, They are not 
in the place of God. And God saying, but I am. I am in the place of God. And I am the one who made you. Your maker is your husband. My friend Sharon Reese married Raul Reese, the now famous evangelist preacher with a mega church. But when she married him, he was a wild teenage boy. Well, I think he was out of his teens, but he was back from Vietnam, and he was an angry, wounded warrior. And he was not a good husband. And she, as a born-again believer from a Christian home, had married and become unequally yoked. And in that time, he became violent and angry and very mean. And at that time, she discovered this verse, and she fell on her knees, and God became her rock. And all this discussion, please, please, this is not to put men down. I'm telling you, God is being as merciful to them as he is being to us when he's having this little talk with us to take the pressure off them and go to God with expectation. Amen? Can you hear that? Okay, write down, look at this this explanation, this song that God is singing to us in Isaiah 54, and write down two things that you learn. What do you see about yourself? How can you see that some of these things have crippled you and made you feel inferior? And what do you see about God? What do you see about God's heart for us as women? As you're writing, I would like you to go back to those moments as a little girl, as a teenager, as a young woman, now in the place that you are. If you could put all the pieces like Lego pieces together for the perfect husband, What are the key factors? Write down five of the things that would be most important to you. And again, please, please, please note, this is not to belittle anybody in your your world. We're building a case. Five of the most important factors that you need most. And build a case. All the things. Wait, wait, wait. Just, just let me finish that sentence about writing down the five things that are make for the perfect husband. Grab those and think about how God fulfills every single one. Or he promises to. So we're establishing an important, important truth here. It's... It's a tangible promise. It's not a vague, um, distant fog. 
God is saying, today is the day that I want you to cross this line. I want you to view yourself as so loved. I mean, so loved. This is a principle you must know. You need love. Say that to somebody next to you. You you need love. You need it. It is not an option. It's not an option. Never think it's an option. God wired your maker, your God, when he birthed you, when he was wiring you up, and you were so little, he wired you to need love. But human love will never fill your cup. The best of, not enough. Not enough for you. Because you got a big soul. Women have big souls. That's our problem. We need lots of love. That's it. And so here's the words that he uses. Your maker. Your maker. God Almighty. Your redeemer. The God of all the earth. Now if somebody's going to love you, don't you want the best? Don't you want the best? The one with the biggest heart? Just put your arms like this and just say, I am so loved. I am so loved. I'm so loved. We got to get used to this. This is the real thing. This is the real deal. Can you see it? I'm so loved. Come on. I am so loved. I'm so loved. You ever seen the Mona Lisa? I went to see the Mona Lisa at the Louvre. You know, you could walk around and and almost, you could touch anything you wanted to. You're not supposed to. But you could, you know, you could touch a Monet. You know, no problem. But the Mona Lisa, I think I've told you this before, it's little. It's this big. It's roped off. And it's the only painting in the Louvre, in Paris, that there's a crowd. I mean, it's like 30 deep. And I looked at her, and she's not that pretty. No, really, she's not. She's not that pretty. So I was like standing there, what? What? There's a look on her face that goes down to her soul of contentment. And maybe people have never seen that on the face of a woman. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) But it's like, this is it. This is it. Now, you you look look the picture up. It's this look like, I've got a secret. I've got a secret. And if that were us tomorrow... So it goes, so what's up with you? I'm so loved. I'm so loved. I'm so loved. Get used to it. Just get used to it. Now, here's two dots that you need to connect. A loved woman is a loving woman. Okay, connect those two dots. 
A loved woman is a loving woman. And a loving woman is a lovable woman. Oh man, that's a great equation. A loved woman is a loving woman. A loving woman is a lovable woman. Do you see how those dots connect? This is God. This is God wanting us to step into our new identity. And let's start at the top. He says, so sing. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Guys are getting silly now. So sing, O barren woman. Burst into song. Shout for joy. We need to take this on the road of light. We need to say, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean a new car or that new pair of shoes you've been wanting. Our desires go much deeper than that. Our deepest desires are the real thing. Delight yourself in God's love. And he'll give you the desires of your heart. He will fill your cup like nobody else. And then that dot from being loving and being lovable is in this center section. And he says, it's almost like a therefore. There you loved one. You beloved girl, you. Enlarge your tent. Stretch your curtains. When we are not loved, when we fear, when we're in shame, we close up, don't we? Don't we? Don't we? Don't we clam up? We shut our door. We close our windows. We only let people this far, don't we? Yep, we do. Yes, we do. And you know what? That's wrong for us. Because that crashes our identity. That crashes our destiny. God made us his girl. He wants to showcase who he is in our lives. And so he wants us to stretch our tent. To open those curtains. And let others be partakers. I'm going to show you another story. You don't have to turn to it. But it's in 1 Samuel 1. And it's a very important connected part of this story. And in Samuel 1, some of you know this story. There was a man that had two wives. That was not a good thing. And at least we don't have to bear with it, except some of you do. Some of you have ex-wives on the scene and double ex-wives but anyway it's always complicated whatever happens and this man from Ephraim Elkaniah uh, had two wives one was Hannah and the other Peniah Peniah had children but Hannah had none and it was a crying shame and they would go to Jerusalem every year for their feasts. And, and Elkanah, 
The husband would try to make it up to Hannah by giving her double portions, but her rival, it said, kept provoking her. I want to stop right there, and I want to say to you, there are voices that tear our hearts apart, aren't they? Little voices that just say, you got nothing, you got nothing, you got nobody, nobody loves you. You're an outcast. Those are the voices of the enemy. And I want you to say, knock it off. I'm not listening to you. You got nothing to do with me. I'm loved. Say that again. I'm so loved. But there's voices. And Paniah was one of those voices. In all your life, you'll hear those voices. And God puts this story for you to show you that he just bypasses that. Never be a voice like that to anybody. But here we go on with the story. Her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. And then Elkanah, her husband, would say to Hannah, Why are you weeping? Why won't you eat? Why are you so downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than two sons? Again, let me say to you girls, it tears a man up when they can't fix us. And they can't. Fix us. It tears them up. He was brokenhearted. But then in her bitterness of soul, she finally went to God. And she wept before God. And she asked for a son. And she said, if you give me this son, after all these many years and my many requests, I'll give him back to you. And he'll be yours. I want to say to you, just like we said in Jeremiah 29:11 God says I have plans for you and they are good. Israel was a mess. It was a nation that was a mess. No good spiritual leadership. They were in sin, they were in idolatry, they had turned their backs on God, and God needed a godly man as a leader. And who did he send that godly man through? A broken-hearted mother. And sometimes God will wait and wait and wait until we're entirely surrendered to him. We put our whole selves in his hands, and then he opens the storehouses of heaven. And he gave Hannah a little boy who became a mighty prophet for God. And this dovetails with what God wants to say to you. He has plans for your life. 
and any loss and any hardship and any waiting that you've had to do, you put that thing in God's hands, out of your hands and into his hands. And you wait and see what God will do. Do you see that? Don't you see in this world, there is a whole world of broken teenagers. There's a whole world of motherless children. There's a whole world of young women. You tied us to women? Woman up. No, I'm not kidding. It's time for you to rise up and take care of the youngins around here. We need to look around. Last Yesterday in church, we were in worship, and I just glanced over my shoulder, and there was a young woman crying her eyes out. And the message hadn't even started. And then she cried halfway through the message. And, and no one said, well, okay, Debbie, it's your turn to go, go look for the brokenhearted women in the sanctuary. That's, that's God's appointment and I just want to say to you to you enlarge your tent you're so loved make room for others write down one thing you learn as you're writing I would like you to to there's uh, a new stack of um, index cards very important spiritual tools for our journey to the heart of God And I'd like you to grab a card, and I'd like you to write the words, a little question mark to God. How do you want me to stretch my tent? What does that mean in my world? It doesn't mean that necessarily he's going to send you to Africa to start an orphanage. But God wants to write his answer on your card. And it can be the smallest thing that's a big thing to somebody else. Just write the question now. But tomorrow, in your quiet time, lay it out before God. Okay, share what you learn. Okay. Reel you back. One more place to go. I know you guys are having so much fun. I love it. Okay, as we pause button here, I'm going to tell you two more principles that makes um, this an exciting journey. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but some of you possibly uh, did not read the reading that day. So again, I won't ask you to raise your hand. Um, Are you still having fun? Is it still exciting? Yeah. And so that's the exciting thing about this this eight weeks is if if you don't get a chance to read that week, come, come, because we jump in fresh. We all jump in together. Even if you did read it five, four or five days ago, um, you know, we forget right? Or we didn't dig deep there. It's just the nature of us. So what we do is we jump in together. 
So never miss if you've had one of those weeks. Also, it's a fabulous time to roam around the sanctuary and ask newbies to come. People that have never come to Bible study, people that are new to the church, people that have not done well in homework in the past. Invite them to come. This is an excellent time for them to jump in and be part of this. Also, a fabulous thing is the camaraderie and the fellowship spontaneously that can happen. Like today, after I read, and we're now going to jump in today's reading. You may turn your one of your Bibles to September 30th to Isaiah 61. It is also on the second half of your, your handout. But after I read it, um, I immediately thought of about five or six people that are my friends, some here in town, some across the country, that this reading would be particularly powerful. And so I texted my friend Holly, was one of them this morning, and all I had to write was, bind up the brokenhearted. That's all I had to write. And Holly and me, we have memories. We have memories. And I asked her permission to, to tell a little story about this text. And um, so we'll read it first, and then I'll tell her story, and then we'll dig in. And this is exactly the same text of the moment that Jesus walked into Nazareth, his hometown, where he had grown up, which was not evidently not the right side of town, Nazareth. And he took the book of Isaiah, he stood up, and he read these words. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, Jesus, because the Lord, Father God, has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, and then, and then, drum roll, and then, they will be called the oaks of righteousness. They will be called a planting of the Lord. And they will be called a display of his splendor. Love 
this text. I love the moment when Jesus walked into his hometown. And he, when he looked around, he knew everybody's grief. And he knew everybody's sorrow. And I love the pictures of the sweet Jesus with children on it, on his lap. Love those pictures. I love the, the fun Jesus when he took the little boy's lunch and made lunch for a 5,000. Love that Jesus. But I love Jesus when he walks up to the devil and he snatches somebody out of his teeth. Love that Jesus. This is our Savior. He's the one who wants to take a wounded woman and make her a oak of righteousness and living proof that he redeems. Living proof that all things are possible with God. Is that our God? Is that our God? Love that he does this. Now I'm going to tell my Holly story. Holly, when she first came to this church, sat in the back row. Got to watch out for that back row. Sat in the back row for a while. And then she and her husband, they, they accepted the Lord. They did. They, they came to salvation here. And they moved up a little bit. Moved up. And um, she started coming to Bible study, and and um, she became a leader at Bible study. But there was something about Holly. It was kind of like she had a ceiling on her head, a ceiling on her head that was just keeping her down. And she she said, "Debbie, I just I just want to grow, but I just feel like I'm I'm just not. I need a breakthrough." And I said, "Well." Well, why don't we read the one-year Bible together? And so she started reading. This is some years ago. She started reading. And then it was kind of like, mm, mm. you know, it's like that ceiling was still there. And I invited her to go to U-turn one night with me. I was going to teach out there. It's a rehab program. She said, yeah. And she got in the car. And on the way, I said, Holly, I've never heard your whole story, the long version of your story. And and um, tell me your God story. So she started telling a story about little girl and started smoking when you were eight. Huh? Close to, close to eight, she started smoking, started drinking a little bit. But then she came to that, that part of her story, and it's the story of a lot of teenage girls, you know, um, just kind of. One thing leads to another, and when she was 17, she was at an abortion clinic, and they put her in a bus to Northern California, all by herself, put her on that table. She had an abortion. They put her on the bus all by herself again and sent her home. And that was 17, and when you told me that story, you were 47 been 30 years and I think you had told three people and then she turned to me with a look that I will never forget in my entire life and she said 
And now, Debbie, I think you don't love me. If I was driving, I would have had an accident. I had so many emotions in my heart that day. One was horror that she would think that. One was anger that someone would make her think that. And the next one was I thought I could hardly breathe. My heart hurt so much for her. And I felt like stopping the car, stopping the traffic on the freeway and saying, this has got to stop. This has got to stop. The enemy is far too mean in the first place. And then when he holds a woman hostage, that's wrong. That's just wrong. Say that with me. That is wrong. That's so wrong. And God gave her Isaiah 61. And she started memorizing it. And from that moment, see what happens when you have a deep deep grief, like being abused as a child, or an abortion, or some tragical deep pain. Oftentimes, you don't allow yourself to grieve. And oftentimes, nobody wants you to grieve. So you hold an avalanche of tears back. Well, Holly cried for the next three months. If you looked at her, she cried. If you didn't look at her, she cried. If she was standing up, she was crying. If she was sitting down, she was three, three, three months, approximately. And um, she had 30 years of crying. So don't, you know, that's what we do. So she cried. Because we need that. She cried. And God brought her the Healing Hearts Bible study. She started doing that. She went to Israel with me because we were going after the girls that were being trafficked into the sex trade. This furious little dangerous looking girls that we were. We went to the darkest streets of prostitution. We, we stood outside of bars and we prayed. But we had a weapon. We printed Isaiah 61 in four languages, and we handed it out, and God rocked. And there in Israel, we had a woman's conference, and there were prostitutes, there were street girls, there were broken girls, there were ordinary girls that are just wounded. And I said, Holly, it's time for you to give your testimony. She stood up at the stage. I think one tear started to come out, and she was healed. As she told her story, she was healed on the stage. Yeah. Yay, God. Our God is an awesome God. And um, we did spend a lot of time on our, prayer, on our knees. We were a praying team. The day we left Israel, they did the biggest bust on sex traffickers that they had ever done in Israel. Yeah. We may have been little, but we were mighty. That's right. This is our mantra. This is how we stretch our tent. Some of you in this room have not been healed. Some of you have not believed that God will do this for you. 
I'm going to read it one more time. I want you to underline everything that stands out to you. And if you, if, if this isn't, uh, isn't your pain, I want you to know that it's somebody's. There are people that feel so poor. There's women that feel so poor. Jesus came to preach good news to the poor. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And he was the richest one in the universe. And so are you. He's got good news. To bind up, to bind up the brokenhearted. He wraps his arms around you. He's a heart healing God. That's who he is. Freedom for the captives. If there's some bondage in your life, he wants to proclaim freedom over you tonight. If you're depressed, if you've been in darkness, you're a prisoner of it. God wants to unshackle you. Comfort. Some of you have not grieved for some big losses in your life. He wants you to grieve in his arms. He will comfort. He wants to bestow a crown of beauty on you because you are his girl, his bride. A crown of beauty instead of ashes. If you are wearing ashes from your past, I want to say to you, that's wrong. That's so wrong. He wants to replace it with beauty and a crown and joy and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. He wants to break the chain of despair so that you'll be an oak of righteousness, a planting of the Lord. Just journal right now, you and your God. Going deep into this, looking at these words, letting them wash over your heart. Owning them. Savoring them. If you've never owned these verses for yourself, believe that God's saying to you, make them yours. Some of you are afraid to be healed. Let them in. We need to start building bridges, making each other safe. Tomorrow as you wake up and you go out into the cold, hard world, what are you going to say? I'm so loved. I'm so loved. Someone's mean to you, what are you going to say? I'm so loved. Yes, you are. Let's close in prayer. I had a conversation tonight. God challenged somebody last week about one of the fruits of the Spirit. And she realized that she couldn't, she couldn't go there until God healed her here. See what I mean? And one of the reasons that we don't enlarge our tents is because... We're broken. We're broken. And it, it's a, we're afraid for people to see we're broken. You know, that's messy. But you know what? We're all broken. We're all broken. 
We're all broken. Yeah. You get real close to me, you see lots of cracks, you know, right there. That's <laughs> just the way it is. There it is. We're all broken. We're all broken. Someone, I believe there is somebody t- here tonight that you're afraid to be healed. And you're afraid to let God in that place. And again, it's a spiritual work. The Spirit of the Lord was on Jesus, is on Jesus. He wants to supernaturally heal you. Will you put your hands up to God Almighty, your husband and maker? And God, here we are, the broken ones the ones that do have a past, we do have ashes. And yet, God, you love us. We're so loved. You want to put a crown on our head and beauty and joy. And God, as we hold out our hands, We need a moment with you. Somebody here tonight, let the healing begin. Lord, not by might, but by your power. Heal every crack. Heal every scar. Make us yours and make us useful. For your kingdom and your glory, in Jesus' name. And they all said, Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God.